This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. Welcome out to another episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry and we take you to the front lines to those that are driving those changes. My name is Donnie Shelton, as always, owner of Triangle Home Services, which has Triangle Pest and Triangle Long, as well as the CEO of Colmarch. I don't know why I'm saying that so fast. I think it's because I say it every single time. And with me, as always, is the highly esteemed, highly respected Mr. Dan Gordon. Dan, would you like to say hello to our audience, as well as introduce our awesome guest that we got for today and the topic. Absolutely. So hello everyone, Dan Gordon, uh, PCO bookkeepers and um, PCO m and specialist, uh, exit planning, accounting, whatnot, blah, blah, blah. And uh, today we uh, actually have a pretty interesting guest and uh, it's one, uh, it, the, the topic is highly relevant uh, I actually was asked to write an article for PCT, which will appear in May, on private equity and how it's entered the industry, how it's changing the industry, how it's relevant to the industry. And um, as you know, you know we uh, broker quite a few deals, and um, we uh, work with all of the large pest control companies or uh, strategics. But we've also done some deals with some private equity folks, and. Um, one of the the people who I've been speaking to um, uh, for oh, several months now uh, worked for a, a company called Access Holdings. His name is uh, Josh Finifter, and um, he is a principal on the investment team. And as a member of the investment team, he supports the firm's thesis development origination, execution, and portfolio management activities. Josh spends most of his time supporting the firm's car wash and pet loss service platforms. By the way, those were the two areas that really kind of interested me to, 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 to you, know, uh, um, you know, reach out and speak to Josh uh, quite a bit. And he's been researching the pest control industry for more than a year. Uh, Access is very interested in making an investment in our industry. And if I got it right, I believe that they probably will in the next several months. But uh, that, uh, Josh, you can confirm or deny that any way you want. Um, and um, Josh, uh, he's an interesting guy because he's got great insights. Um, you know, obviously, when you're researching the industry, you're looking at every inside and outside and everything that, uh, uh, you know, uh, what is the thesis to get in? You know, what does the industry look like to an outsider? So we're excited to have him on the podcast to discuss why pest firms are so attractive to private equity players and what owners in the pest control industry should know about potentially selling to a private equity firm. So, and as I said, um, Josh is one of the experts who I interviewed for my article in PCT that will be in the May issue uh, of the top 100. And with that, welcome, Josh. <laughs> Thanks, Donnie. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be here. So I actually, it's, it's uh, hearing all of that. Number one, coming from car washes, I have a buddy of mine who, who has a couple of these and, and I don't call it a car wash. I call it an ATM because the thing is just crazy what it does. So it's, it's <laughs> interesting. I didn't know that car washers was in your background, but no, I thought I would, I was thinking about as you were introducing Josh, uh, an experience I had many years ago. And 
you know, many of our listeners know that I flew in the military and, and I will never forget when I got to my first operational unit and I started my first pest control company. And I was probably about uh, three years in and we got this new commander in and he was just crusty as could be. He was pretty funny. And I took so much crap for having a pest control company. Like I would come in and I drove this beater because I didn't have any money. I drove this old 1991 Camry. Like the paint was like, you know how like when the clear coat goes and it's like rusted and like that was my car. So, you know, everyone else is driving up in their new Corvettes. You know, these are all brand new pilots. And, and here Donnie comes up in his beater. And every day, man, I would just get worn out. Oh, here comes the bug man. Yeah. So one day we're in the pilot lounge and people are like, oh, here comes bug man. Ha, ha, ha. And the old crusty commander looked like, and I, and I don't like cursing on the podcast, but got, I got a quote of these. You boys are a bunch of dumbasses. That boy's laughing all the way to the back. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he did it just like hilarious. And so it was like the one guy who knew what I was doing, right? Because no one else had it figured out and I wasn't about to say it. So it's just interesting to hear, Josh, that you are researching the industry. And I am so excited about talking about this topic because I really do want to hear, and I think our listeners want to hear, why is pest control so interesting? And I'm making the assumption that it is very interesting, but obviously we wouldn't be having this conversation. What makes it interesting to private equity? So with that, I'll, I'm done with story time. Sorry, but it is a funny You know story. what, Don? Yeah, I, I just have a 30-second. Uh, when, when I got out of school, I worked for a large accounting firm. Uh, it's a predecessor. It's now Deloitte. And when I left Deloitte and I had to go in and turn in my resignation, I turned uh, went to two partners, two young partners. They were in their 30s. I was in my 20s and uh, said that I was leaving and they asked me what I was going to do. And when I said pest control, everybody, it just got silent. They looked at me like, are you out of your mind? And I really had a second get guess myself. Yeah, they're like, get off the psychedelic drugs. What are you doing? You know, anyway. and, uh, you know, it, it's funny. Things have come full circle, but uh, Wall Street and, 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 and private equity and everybody's interested in the pest management industry right now and with good reason. Um, and so I guess uh, one of the reasons that we got Josh in is to talk about that. And, um, you know, um, I guess before we do that, let's talk about what is private equity? How does it differ from like an Orkin or Terminex or Rent-A-Kill, um, you know, in their acquisition strategy? So, Josh, maybe you could answer that question first. Sure, sure. Happy to. Thanks, Dan. And, and you, you're, you're right. It's a super attractive space. So maybe just to take a step back, traditional private equity at, at its core refers to a pooled source of capital that's put into a fund. Um, and the team that leads that private equity firm raises money from a variety of sources, including endowments, foundations, high net worth individuals, other investment firms, so on and so forth. And that money is commonly pulled together uh, and used to make strategic investments in private, private companies. Um, this can be for a small piece of the business all the way up to a 100% sale. Um, and so there are a number of differences between private equity and the strategics, both in the pest space and just in, in general. Um, and, and certainly there's a great deal of variances and spread within each of those categories as well. I'd, I'd say stereotypically, um, strategic buyers wish to buy 100% of the business in an all cash deal. 
they they know the space, they have a defined existing brand and culture, um, and they're most often looking to plug the acquisition into their existing strategy. Sometimes they're, they're just looking for the customer list. Um, in private equity or, or PE, as you'll, you'll probably hear me say throughout the, the podcast, you know, there can be all, all cash offers, of course, um, but there is also flexibility uh, where a seller can continue to own a material portion of the business. Um, this means that the seller is able to participate in the upside as the business continues to grow. Uh, private equity may or may not have an investment in the space already, um, creating real opportunities for, for partnership. Um, depending on the approach of the private equity firm, the seller's legacy, in my humble opinion, can be better protected and enriched. For, for example, the brand and the culture can be maintained. I, I, I'd say in short, private equity usually provides more optionality um, around transaction structure, around go forward role of the existing team, um, and, and protects culture and brand. Um, at, one last comment is at Access Holdings specifically, we're a bit different than the traditional private equity buyers um, as we aim to, to truly partner with operators of businesses that we want to own, not, not just those that are for sale. And so alignment for us is critical, both financially, but, but also strategically. Um, and so, you know, what does that mean? For example, before we close a deal, uh, we will ensure that there's a detailed five-year plan uh, that all parties are aligned with, right? So we align on where we want to go, who's going to do what, and then we work our way backwards. Um, and so we identify exceptional partners um, that want to build something uh, that, that can endure and be here for years and years to come. Um, and, and, and really back best-in-class operators with tools and capabilities and capital and strategic guidance. And so just to be clear, we, we won't ever know the pest control space like an operator who's been there for 20 years, um, and we won't ever try to run the business day to day, but, but we're certainly, uh, we certainly want to be more accretive and value add than just being a source of capital. So maybe in short, uh, to respond in align to your, your, your question, you know, we, we want to build an enduring business uh, that all stakeholders are extremely proud of and really have a strong track record of doing just that. Um, we, we, we do what we say we're going to do, um, and that's really, really important. So I actually have a question, Josh, and this is, and I, we, we've said this for our audience before, we typically use an outline, and this is already, we're, what, three minutes in the podcast, and I'm going off of our outline, so. But, <laughs> no worries. So, and, and, yeah. <laughs> so let's say I'm an, I'm an operator. Um, a, a firm like yours approaches me and says, hey, look, we think that we can, uh, give me the business case for the owner, right? This is why you. This is why you should align with private equity. This is why you know. Let's just see, because I hear what you're saying. I mean, if if I read what you just said correctly, it's like, hey, we want to be a part of this company. We want the the people who are there to continue to be there to help grow it. And you know what? What's to keep an owner from saying, well, I can do that myself? Or what? I, I guess my real question is, is like, what's the value add by an owner bringing in private equity? And him or her staying, you know what I mean? Like it's 
And I know, I mean, I've got some general ideas of why that makes sense in some cases, but I would love for you to kind of talk through that because I'm sure some of our listeners are sitting here thinking, sure. well, if it's not a complete exit, why would I align with private equity? Because I can just do that myself. Um, does that make sense? It does. And it's a great question. And, and each, each potential seller is going to have their own preferences. Um, but, you know, at, at a high level, you're right. If, if the standalone operator can do what the private equity firm can do together um, by, by him or herself, that transaction would not make sense. The idea is private equity or any partner for that matter has to be more accretive to what that person could do by themselves. And so there's, there's a couple considerations. One, maybe just first and foremost, is it allows um, the seller to take some chips off the table put some money away for the house or the grandkids or the beach house, whatever it may be. Um, it also allows them to get rid of any personally guaranteed debt. Um, and so that goes away, which um, as someone who just paid off my, my mortgage is very, very nice. Um, it's, a, it's a nice feeling. Um, but then also the idea is that the, the partner and the PE firm has a unique uh, set of capabilities and skills that not only add value, but accelerate growth. And so one of the questions that, that I commonly talk to folks about is, what's your five-year goal, right? What's your five-year plan? And then how do we do that in a year? And let's reset the mark. So if you're going to grow from 10 million to 20 million over five to 10 years, how do we get to 20 million in the next six months and then make that 20 million, 100 million? And so, you know, that bigger pie is really accretive. Um, but the way that you do that is through strategic alignment. Everyone has to be on board. It has to be clear what you're going to do, what you're not going to do, who's going to do what. And so that's something that we focus on before we consummate a deal at all. Um, and then I also think for our firm specifically, um, we bring capabilities. We're not just a source of capital. We bring real capabilities. We've got proprietary processes, tools, technologies um, that help accelerate growth. And I can give you a couple examples. We've got um, expertise in things like routing and things like technician recruiting and human capital development and things like digital marketing. Um, those are core competencies of ours that we can, you know, fill in gaps or complement what's already in place. On top of that, of course, we, we engage in a, a highly accretive M&A strategy. I, I'd say for us, it's not just buying a bunch of stuff. It's very purposeful. Is it accretive? Do the values align? Is the strategy aligned? Is there cross-selling opportunities? And so really the idea is we should be able to accelerate growth at a quicker clip. And we, and quite frankly, Donnie, we, 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 we have to, otherwise there's no reason someone would transact with us. Right. And, and just to kind of summarize that, I mean, the reality of it is, is that if someone is interested in, interested in going further, they could potentially get a payout now and maybe even a bigger payout later on that they would not be able to get if they just kind of stayed at it on their own. Is that, a, is that a good summary? Ab absolutely. The, it, it, in almost all the, cases, all the cases for us specifically, that rollover investment, which is basically if you reinvest in the deal, um, and it could right. be 5%, it could be 49%. Um, that smaller piece is usually worth multiples of what uh, that partner got at close um, because yeah. of the growth. All right, I'm going to stop because Dan's not seeing so, uh, You can't see the camera, but I'm way off script here. And I'm sure he's like, where is Donnie going? So I'm going to back off here, Dan. You no, no, that, it, 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 it's very interesting because 
you know, we've got several uh, clients who are looking to exit and they're wrestling with, well, do I want to stay in? Because what, what Josh uh, kind of outlined is, you know, oh, they don't know pest control, right? They want an operator, but they're going to give them the tools to grow the business. So if you're a 75-year-old looking to exit, you're probably not a good candidate to stay in the business and run it, right? But if you're in your 40s or maybe even your 50s, then you are, or 30s or 20s, whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, Dan, actually, you know so sorry to interrupt you, but that, that's totally right. And, and even that 75 year old first of all we do all cash deals but you know there's there's a team there there's a culture there there's a brand there um private equity for a platform investment something you know a a, a new geography a market leader a brand that we're going to to grow we we protect that because that's really valuable to us i'd say on the strategic side it, it may or it may not um and that that's another component i just wanted to make sure it was clear mm -hmm. okay so What's interesting to me is, you know, 20 years ago, it wasn't really private equity uh, that was doing uh, these acquisitions or they weren't as visible as they are now. Now everything is private equity. If you watch CNBC, you've got these massive private equity firms that are buying up real estate, buying up, uh, you name it, car washes of all things. But uh, by the way, how many car washes do you guys own? Uh, by the end of this year, we will be at 175. Um, and we will be a market leader, yeah, in all all geographies that we're in. That's just that's unbelievable. But hey, you guys, know, so, can, so can we just do we just call them ATMs? Let's just say 100. ATMs. It is it is a great business model. <laughs> it is a great business model. <laughs> it's a fantastic business model. That's what they are. But uh, yeah. But um, so so you know, private equity has become very visible uh, as of late and whatnot. And obviously we're on this massive economic expansion that's been going on for, you know, uh, at, at different paces for, you know, 10 or 12 years. And, you know, uh, now that we've got inflation, we've got this war, we've got all of this kind of thing, we've got interest rates going up, which reduce asset values. What do you see the short-term direction of uh, M&A and more specifically, um, from a private equity perspective, um, you know, obviously as interest rates rise, asset values fall. How does that play in? Yeah, no, Dan, it's a, it's a great question. So look, there, there, there's no doubt that we're in a interesting time in history with a lot of, of changes, right? And the majority of them appear to be short term. Every, every space, every category is going to be impacted by recessions, changes to interest rates, you know, world conflicts and the like um that said when you know when when there are challenges in the world the best business models uh survive and, and they come out stronger and so within the pest control space the fact that there's such a highly recurring nature of work um and how sticky clients are it it, it should help the industry weather that storm compared to the broader market that being said um, the things that are on my mind, and I'm sure on the mind of the majority of folks uh, here, um, are things like fuel prices and wage pressures. Um, those are very real, um, especially in a sector like like pest control. Profitability could go down, and there there will be more pressure to perform and improve. You know, I I see this as an opportunity and and as a threat. Um, you know, to those who don't embrace that changing environment there could be challenges ahead. Um, at the same time, those who, who do embrace those changes can really capitalize and, and take 
take market share. Um, I, I, I do think that the fundamentals of the space are sound, um, but it is fluid and, and companies as they always do uh, need, need to be able to, to, to adjust. Um, in terms of your point on M&A, you know, there, there are a variety of considerations here. I, I think in the short term, due to the trend that you, you brought up, I do expect values to, to come down a bit. I, I think this will be compounded should the, the Renekill Terminex transaction go through as, you know, as, as there, there will be one to two large players not competing in processes, at least in the short term and, and perhaps maybe longer term, just given how hot the market is today and prices compared to the, the price to just grow organically. Um, but on the other hand, you know, there, there, there will be more and more pressure for companies to be highly efficient. So using technology, creating denser routes, digital marketing, human capital planning. And so some parties will look to M&A to solve those, those problems. I, I think specific to PE, the pest control space is really attractive. Um, we, we, we've seen many participants enter and, and I, I don't see that slowing down. I think private equity brings capabilities to its partners that can allow them to compete against some of the large players in the space. Private equity, just based on who we are, will invest in technology, will invest in growth, will invest in people, will invest in capabilities. And that, that brings a new level of professionalization and capability to companies of, of smaller scale and size. And I, I think that's, that's a weapon that can be really, really powerful if you pair the right private equity firm with the right operating team. Um, and and I, I do think private equity will get more purposeful um, and perhaps lean in more on the organic side as well be, compared to M&A for the, the same reasons I, I brought up. I was speaking to a, another private equity uh, guy the other day, and um, what he was saying is that, you know, they, they invest in dental practices and uh, doctors and veterinarians and, you know, all recurring business, um, you know, uh, but uh, he was saying that everybody is, uh, for lack of a better word, jealous of pest control valuations that, oh my gosh, they are so high compared to these other recurring services. What specifically do you see? Why are the valuations in pest control so much higher than those other things, including lawn care. You know, lawn care is an interesting one. We work quite a bit in lawn care and those valuations are nowhere near pest control. What is it that makes pest control so much more valuable? Yeah, it's it's, it's a great question. Um, I'd say maybe just to take a step back, honestly, private equity likes the space for the same reasons you and your your clients do, right? The fundamentals of the business are sound. It's It's, it's a very large and growing category driven by population trends, driven by you know, increased spend on the home, increasing per capita income, strong existing home sales, strong housing starts, all of that stuff. Um, but it's also an essential service. Um, it, it has a high level of recurring, it has a high level of recurring sales. And then on top of that, from a private equity perspective, while there are very large, strong players at, at the top of the space, it's still extremely fragmented, which is which is attractive from a 
from a growth perspective, right? There, there's real value here in scale, things like facility optimization. Hang, hang on real quick, Josh. Can you, can you just explain what fragmented means for our audience? I know what it means. I know Dan knows what it means. But just for our audience, just what, what it means when a market is fragmented. And then continue. Sorry. Sure. I just want to make sure people no, understand no, no. what you're no saying. So fragmented market means um, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of players in the category. And so there's room for growth. There's not one player that accounts for 80% of the total market. Right. Um, and so what that means is there's, you know, there, there's an opportunity for, um, for a partnership to grow both organically, um, but also through acquisitions. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I think there's real value in scale, right? Things like facility optimization, product purchasing power, and then most importantly, the routing. Um, and, and I think, you know, the pest control industry as a whole is a bit behind the times from a technology perspective, meaning a small amount of willingness to be curious uh, can have a very meaningful value impact. Things like digital marketing, routing, technician recruitment and training and retention. Um, to, to, to be honest, the, the best practices that I've seen come from the, the mid or smaller set of companies within the space because they are more willing to adapt and early adopt. Um, as a firm, we obviously like the space for all the reasons that I that I brought up and 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 more. We take a unique approach to identifying a market that we like. Uh, and we actually spend years getting smart on a category before we make an investment. So I can get on podcasts like this and and, and speak to the speak to the content. Um, this is all centered around our desire to build an enduring business. Um, and our belief is that in order to to do that, uh, you, you have to be an informed partner. You have to know what good is and you have to uh, know what you're seeking to uh, to find. Um, we we as a firm, we solely invest in the essential services category and we believe in sectors that benefit from a shift in consumer behavior right from do it yourself to do it for me um, we've seen a similar trend in a broad array of categories and 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 pest control certainly falls in in this category where a large percent of the population is preferring to have someone take care of that pest problem or the preventative service than to do it themselves. And so we, we've, we've also like categories where routing, digital marketing, and technician recruiting, human capital recruiting are, are key value drivers because these are the areas that we specialize in and we can, we can add value there. Um, I, I would also say from an M&A perspective, um, you know, as I brought up before, while, while the pest control space is fragmented, it's due to uh, a very large number of high quality but small firms, right? And, and this makes material growth through acquisition harder and harder, which, which quite frankly scares the large pest control companies because they need to do so many deals every year to move the needle for their, their public shareholders. And then it, it, it also scares some PE firms because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of risk, right? You buy a bunch of companies, you've, you've got to integrate well and you have to do it right. And so at access you know this is a competitive advantage of ours um, we have developed proprietary tools and processes and technologies to not only help us with with routing and digital marketing and recruiting um, but we have really strong internally developed tools that allow us to do a creative m a that is that is purposeful um, we're doing 20 plus deals a year in the majority of our our categories um, but but we are purposeful in that approach and so for example we, we have a playbook where there is integration 
in a day. It doesn't always happen, but that, that's the target. And so this, this allows our partners and the operators to do what they do best and not be sidetracked with the inefficiencies that can, that can sometimes come. So Josh, I uh, probably should ask this question at the outset, just so we can, you know, you, 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 you know, obviously um, people want to know, you know, how serious is PE, how serious is Access, how much money is behind Access? Like, how much money do you guys have to invest across all your categories? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So Access as a firm manages about 2.3. Billion dollars. Sorry, I don't know if I if I lost you for a second. Um, but and then for, no, for actually, the, I think it was pretty dramatic. I, I mean, I actually enjoyed that pause there. It was like two point three billion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pause for a yeah. second. So we're yeah, and that that's across all all of all of our assets, all of our funds. Um, we for for pest control, um, we are looking to deploy uh, anywhere from 100 million to 200 million of capital. That's our capital that we've pulled, and then there's there's debt on top of that. And so when you think about total deployable capital, um, it's probably in the four 400 to 500 million range. And that's also because we reinvest cash into the business, um, and we 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 really push forward with growth. So our our goal, just to be clear, is is to be a top five to six player in the space. When when you've obviously been researching the industry, what do you like? What uh, what what business? Uh, what mix is most desirable? Is it commercial, residential? What destroying other services? What is it that your thesis tells you is you know the best uh, marketing mix? Yeah, it's great great question. So obviously more more recurring is better. That goes without saying. But um, on on the commercial versus residential side I, I'm, I'm honestly not sure that there's a one-size-fits-all answer I, I personally think that sort of a 70 30 60 40 mix resi being the higher number is is, is ideal um, but I have no issue with companies that are extreme one or the other to me that means that there's a collective opportunity to, to, to cross sell um, that's something we would discuss with our partners um, I think on the Resi side, it's likely viewed by most to be to be a bit more attractive based on margins, frequency of service, ability to, to create dense routes um, in, in in more geographies. Um, but the the commercial business is very sticky. It's stable. It's predictable. And so I, I think having exposure to both um, really makes a ton of sense. In, in, in terms of the other services termite, mosquito, so on and so forth. I, I think it's a great ancillary offering. I'd probably keep it, you know, sub 25% of your, your total sales. Um, it can be higher margin, as, as, as we all know, but I, the one caution is that, you know, I, you have to be careful around the frequency and incremental risk to the base business. So you have to be good at everything that you do. If you cross sell a service, it's great from a profitability perspective, but if, if you botch that service, you probably lose the customer and all, all the other services. So the name of the game, I know it's saying it, I don't have to say it is recurring revenue. So you, you do not want to lose a customer because you tried extending into a category that you don't you don't specialize in. All of that said, if you do it well, it's it's really, really powerful. This is kind of more of an extension along that line of thinking there. If if you were, I mean for our listeners here, I'm sure we have some listeners that are like they're not even close. We have some listeners who may be thinking, well, probably in five years. We may have some listeners of like tomorrow, right? In yep. terms of looking at transition, what would you say is like this is who we're really looking for? And I know that's a very broad statement. And then recurring revenue, we, I mean, I get that as well. But like, 
who's your ideal? Like, this is who we like ideally. And obviously not everyone's going to fit this. I'll put all the dis- you know, standard disclaimers out there. We're all, you know, unique snowflakes like everyone else. And I get that. But I'm just saying, like, you know, that if you were to say, here's what we find super attractive. Because the other thought here is that there might be someone on a two, three, five-year timeline and they can make some changes now that would make them very attractive whatever that timeline is. So can you just walk through that? Like what, what makes someone yeah. super, super attractive to you guys? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and it's a great question. And, and you're right, whether someone wants to talk about a transaction today or whether someone wants to prepare to do that in the next two years, we 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 enter in into partnerships. We're not just acquiring. And so that could that could be a transaction today or that could be a transaction in five years. And we're happy to talk to all, all people. I, I'd say in terms of what maximizes value to a seller. I mean, what, what do we like most? I think obviously the, the larger you are from a market leadership perspective, that can be local, that can be single city, um, but the more market leadership you have in your geography, the better. Um, there's obviously key financial stats. You want you know gross profit above 50 to 60%, margin, you want EBITDA or cash flow margins to be in that sort of 15 to 20% plus, you want strong year over year growth trends, all the stuff that you would expect. You certainly want a high level of recurring sales uh, with a track record of low churn. So think 80% plus. Um, I think if you offer multiple services, mosquito, termite, so on and so forth, and and, and have a track record of cross-selling, that's really attractive. Um, very, very, very critical is strong technicians with experience and, and a good retention metric. Um, you know, and, and then I think pest control companies with just quite frankly, a highly experienced, well-respected management team that's capable of scaling um, mm-hmm. is, is, is critical. Really, at the end of the day, all of that aside and all of those are important for, for us specifically, the partnership angle um, is is very real. The size of the company doesn't matter as much. The service offerings doesn't matter as much. The recurring nature doesn't matter as much. If, if we're aligned with a partner that's excited for the vision and we've got a five-year plan that works um, well in advance of starting the partnership, then we we know where we're going. We know what we're going to get out of it. We just we just have to execute, um, and that's that's our bread and butter. Well, we're getting close to the end here, Dan. So I'm going to let you kind of finish this out with a question. You had mentioned, um, so obviously, you know, we've we've done dozens and dozens of transactions. Um, I like to say that all of them are great. And from a valuation, we usually get our clients the most money and, and, and whatnot. But I can tell you that um, we've had several that kind of fell apart because of poor integration. Now, if we negotiate the contract right, that it doesn't matter to the seller. But a lot of times what our sellers are very interested in Clearly, money is number one, usually, but also how do you treat your team? How do you, you know, what happens to them and the deals that fall apart? And, you know, we we had one in California that, I don't know, had like 12 technicians and within two or three months, all those technicians were gone and it had to do with the integration. But uh, how do you look at integration? We're talking about a one day integration process. I'd uh, um, that that sounds a little aggressive, but uh, tell me about that. Yeah. So first of all, I'm I'm glad you posed that question because it's really important. I think there is um, 
in, in truth, that integration process can vary, but it is a critical function. It, it is very easy to do a lot of deals. It is very hard to purposefully do the right deals and to integrate in such a way that that is accretive, especially with a business that you know may be doing five hundred thousand dollars of sales. Um, and so, I, what I would say is, if the acquisition is a platform investment, meaning it's a flagship brand in that geography, there there really for for private equity and for us, there really isn't much by the way of integration, right? We've developed our five-year plan. We've got our 100-day vision. We've aligned on the organizational chart. So there's clarity. Everybody knows the culture is protected. The people are protected. We don't swap out the management team or fire a bunch of people because, quite frankly, we don't have existing capabilities. Um, and so through our strategic planning sessions ahead of close, we will know what we want to optimize or what we want to change. Um, perhaps we can offer better insurance and benefits to, to people. We can leverage purchasing power. Um, but the day-to-day -day will be the same. The, the, the beauty of our strategy is that by the time we close, we get to the integration stage. We, we've, we've already developed that plan. So everyone knows there's, there's a lot of clarity. It's less about the integration and more about alignment and growth. And we love sharing best practices across the platform. Um, so, you know, I, I think the integration in a day is we, we have a playbook and I, I won't go into it because we don't have time, but we have a whole playbook that's run. There's a team that gets deployed um, where it's all about retention, protection of culture, continuing to do what what folks have done well, but also improving. And so we we don't have that turnover. I can't think of any deal that we've done um, from the platform investment side where we've turned over the team, where the culture's materially changed, because um, that's really important to us. We only get to do business with partners if they trust us and if we do what we say we're gonna do. And so one thing I can promise is we will always, always, always do what we say we're gonna do. And I, I don't wanna speak poorly of anybody else, but I, I don't believe that is that is always the case. Uh, the final point, because I know we're coming up on time here, but the final point that I wanna make clear, Dan, is um, the integration process, there is that playbook and it's, it's codified, right? There is, how do you do routing? How do you do facilities? How do you do people? How do you do technology? How do you do accounting? And there's a step-by-step -step playbook, a team that comes in and does it, um, and it's done in a way that is accretive, not disruptive and and not necessarily changing the environment, but just incrementally adding value. So I know I know that that's high level, but hopefully that, that addresses your question. Well, I'm going to sneak one more in here. Well, well, two, yeah. Two, 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 you you ask about Redfield? Yeah. I'm good. Oh well, uh, no, you're going to ask about that. But uh, <laughs> uh, what's what's the most? The, the, see if you could do this in uh, quickly. What what's the most difficult part of the M and A process from your perspective, and what are the easy? Um, yeah. So uh, the the real quick one liners are most difficult for a seller is just the pure volume of requests and time spent. It truly is another full-time job. It's short-term and there's nothing in the process that's overly hard and challenging, but it's it's just the volume of requests. From our side, um, I don't know that it's the hardest, but the most important is that strategic alignment. I can't tell you how many deals I've seen go wrong because the integration plan wasn't in place, the strategic vision wasn't agreed to beforehand. It's like you, you get married, um, and then you talk about what, what you want out of life. It doesn't make any sense. Um, on the, from a transaction perspective, what is easiest? I, I don't know what's, what's easiest, um, but I can tell you what's most fun is the day we close. Um, <laughs> sellers are super, super happy for the obvious reasons. 
Um, but when there's when there's a partnership, we're also really excited for that next stage, right? And there's a pivot from sort of deal mode to growth mode. And so as a firm, we we want to win, right? We have a track record of doing that, but we also have fun along the way. So the, the thing that you brought out, which was uh, extremely interesting, is all of the work that goes on. It's like a full-time job, and you have to compound that with the fact that usually you're doing this in secret, right? You're not right. telling everybody because, um, you know, obviously that if, if if the deal falls apart or whatever, you don't want uh, your folks to to really get uh, concerned or worried. And uh, cheap plug for us, we get our clients through that. That's what our clients love about us, and that's what. Uh, buyers love about us is that it is a full-time job. We get you through it and um, we get you through it, um, you know, uh, with confidentiality and uh, most of the heavy lifting. But with that, Donnie, what is the final question? Yes, final question. Thank you very much. I, I don't know what I did to, to be sanctioned with such an honor, but yeah, so I mean, we've, we've talked about this before and, and we had John Myers on before, but I would I would be curious to hear your thoughts, Josh, on the Renekill Terminex deal, and what are your thoughts as far as what you think this is, what impact you believe it's going to have on the industry, and obviously I think a lot of the folks that are sitting out there, what impact, if any, on valuations. You touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think just kind of finishing it off here, because obviously this is a big deal. It's, it's the biggest news I, I never thought in my lifetime I would see Terminex sold. Um, it's not done yet. The deal's not done, but it, it looks like that's going to happen. So just, yeah, what do you think it means for the industry and what do you think it means for valuations? Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a game changer in the space, taking, you know, two of the top three players and combining them. I, you know, I think from, from the strategics perspective, I think it makes a ton of sense for, for, for each company, right? And it seems to be a good fit. I, I, I do worry what it means in terms of the competitive dynamics as their as their share overall you know increases and 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 certainly in select geographies um, will be very high which which will make it harder for the smaller players to, to compete um, in, in in the short term I think it takes two historical acquirers largely off the map um, if, if, if I'm one of those strategics I'm going to be very deliberate uh, with how and what I merge and how I integrate and how I do it. Um, and this will take time and it will be their primary focus. And so I, I also think based on the price that um, that's being paid, real synergies will need to be recognized early. Um, and so suffice it to say, both companies will be doing the right thing for the business by shifting material focus to getting that deal done and sort of up and running. Um, I think the, the big sort of headline results for, 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 for us, what that means is I do think it leads to lower multiples over time. I think in the short term, there's just going to be less buyers that can pay those prices. Um, and in the longer term, I think as the market consolidates, you know, for that company, that combined company to do 20 deals a year at a million dollars top line, it's not going to move the needle for them. And I think you're going to see a shift from M&A to organic growth. Um, and so I think as a result, values may may come down. Um, I, I do think from the talent pool perspective, you know, while there are plenty of strategic reasons for this deal to, to get done, I think that the unfortunate part of a large transaction, and this happens in a strategic deal, um, is, is that there's going to be human capital casualties, if that makes sense. And so said, mm -hmm. said, said, said another way, there will be talented people looking for a new home. 
Um, and so some folks will choose to leave because of the actual or, or perceived changes to the culture and approach, while others will be forced to look for other opportunities. And so depending on who you are, that can be a pro or a con. For us, we're excited, obviously, by the opportunity to partner with some sort of best in class folks coming out of that. Um, I do think that the, maybe I'll close with this. I do think that the biggest area of risk to, um, for, for this deal in terms of what it means for the broader pest control market is on the the commercial side, specifically on national accounts, as there now are even fewer players today that can service those customers. And that's a that's a growing segment. And there needs to be more players there or more partnerships of scale that, that can compete. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, Josh, it has been great having you on the podcast. Very much appreciate you joining us and sharing your thoughts and kind of some some of your ideas with with our listeners. And you know, I think um, well, I just think it's a, it's been a fantastic segment. I think you know some of your comments about how to get prepped and how the you know what the business cases have makes sense will be um, very beneficial for our listeners. And with that, folks, you all managed to spend another forty minutes with Dan and I. Uh, luckily, we brought someone on so you could have some intelligent conversation. Having said all of that, if you enjoyed what we talked about or you enjoy the podcast in general, uh, we ask that you please rate and review us this episode or the podcast, however it is that you consume it. And with that, Josh, thanks again. Dan, anything before we finish out here? Thanks so much, Josh. We really enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks, Donnie. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, everybody. Really appreciate it. Take care. care. Thank you. Bye-bye.